Hello, my friends, and welcome back to my podcast. I preached the following sermon on August 11th, 2019 at Tacoa First United Methodist Church. The, uh, the sermon was called Gone Fishing with Jesus, and the text is Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Enjoy. A couple of months ago, before I knew most of you, I met with our staff parish relations committee, just sort of, you know, get to know you, get together. They wanted to see what kind of pastor they were stuck with. And someone asked me to share my vision for the church. Well, that's a difficult question, especially considering I just got here I, or I wasn't even here yet. You know, I was still in Livonia. I didn't know much about Tacoa first and I, I knew very little about the city of Tacoa. I didn't know, for, exa- for example, about something called Red Rage and how the community gets so excited about high school football and the upcoming season that they're willing to fill up a stadium for a pep rally and a scrimmage on a Friday night. Lisa and I went there and um, we were planning, we were planning on sitting with our, our new youth minister, Josh and, and, uh, and Jenna and Jay and Jaden and Avery. And, and we tried to save a seat for them. But by the time they got there, we had no room because this place was filled to capacity for a pep rally on a Friday night in the heat. <laughs> Well, now I know that the city of Tacoa is a lot like the, the town that's featured in that movie and TV show, Friday Night Lights. I, I now know that about Tacoa, but I didn't know anything about Tacoa a couple of months ago when I had to answer the question about my vision for this church. But the truth is I really didn't need to know uh, anything about Tacoa or the church because I suspect that that my vision for this church will, I hope, be the same, no matter where I am. Um, Because my vision comes from the Apostle Paul and from something that he wrote, or he said, I should say, in Acts chapter 20, verses 26 and 27. My vision is shaped by Paul's words there. He's preaching to the church at Ephesus. He's preaching his farewell sermon. He'll never see his beloved church there again. He spent three years of his ministry there. He founded this church. He loved these people. And here's what he said to them. He said, therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. There's a lot to unpack there. I'm not going to do it in this sermon, but, but I'm going to focus on that phrase, innocent of the blood of all. What is Paul talking about? That sounds serious because it is. To put it as bluntly as possible, Paul is telling this church, if anyone in Ephesus dies, and is eternally separated from God in hell, it won't be Paul's fault. 
Because Paul has done everything he possibly could to let the Ephesians know how to be saved from hell. He's done everything he possibly could to convince people of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, that is, to be separated from God eternally, but have eternal life through Jesus Christ. There's only one way to have eternal life. That's through faith in Jesus. And the means by which you have saving faith, Paul says, is in the hearing of the whole counsel of God. That is the teaching and preaching of God's word and the gospel of Jesus that is found within it. My vision for this church in Tekoa is that we would be as committed to saving others as Paul is, because this is precisely what Jesus teaches Peter and Peter's brother Andrew and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, in today's scripture, Luke 5, verses 1 to 11. If you have your Bibles, and you should, let's read this together. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus's knees saying, depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Despite the title of today's sermon, Jesus is not really interested in communicating how we can be better fishermen and fisherwomen. No, Jesus's point is not how to be better fishermen, it's how to be better and more faithful disciples. It's how we are to fulfill his great commission, which is go therefore, into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. In order to make this point, Jesus does what all good teachers do. He uses an analogy. Well, more like an object lesson drawn from fishing, something that Peter, Andrew, James and John knew very well in their own life because they were, after all, professional fishermen. So let me ask you, if making disciples of Jesus Christ is like fishing, 
what, in the case of today's scripture, is the bait that we're supposed to use? What is the lure? Now, I don't like to talk about it in terms of bait because it makes it sound like we're trying to trick people into receiving Jesus. That's not what I mean. But, you know, just follow the analogy. What is what what are we supposed to do that ends up catching people in God's saving nets? Well, what does Jesus himself use? Look at verse one. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake at Gennesaret. Notice the word of God. Verse three, and he, Jesus, sat down and taught the people from the boat. Taught the people what? Taught the people the word of God. Finally, what is it that ultimately leads Peter to saving faith in Jesus? He says, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I'll do this thing that you're telling me to do. Whose word? The word of Jesus. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. Peter responds to the word of God. This is the point that the Apostle Paul made earlier when he talked about the whole counsel of God. The one and only way that we, the church, will accomplish uh, what Jesus describes in verse 10 as catching men and women in the saving net of the gospel is through the preaching and teaching of the word of God. Well, that's easy, right? Well, maybe it's not easy, but it is clear. It is straightforward. Two summers ago, my family and I went to New York City. Um, we, uh, we got two tickets for my daughter and, uh, and for Lisa uh, to see the, the musical Hamilton because they're both big fans of that musical and it was hard to get tickets. We got tickets and we made a family vacation out of it. And while we were in New York City, we rode the subway several places. And one time when we were riding the subway, um, a well-dressed and well-spoken woman was standing up and she was <laughs> preaching to this crowded subway car in Manhattan. And she had this lovely Jamaican accent with this uh, British lilt to her voice. And she paused for the loading and the unloading of the car at each stop. And for all I know, this happens many times every day in uh, the New York subway system. While she spoke, the commuters were doing all they could to avoid making eye contact with her. They were looking down at their devices and reading books and magazines and uh, what in newspapers. Um, no one looked up at her. No one made eye contact, including yours truly, because I just wanted to blend in. You know, I wanted to be cool. But later, when my family got off the train, we, we debriefed about that experience. And we agreed that there was literally nothing untrue about anything that she said in her gospel message. She emphasized God's love and the abundant life that we have in Christ, the opportunity that we have to repent of our sins and be saved. She was faithful in talking about God's judgment, but her message was by no means some kind of turn or burn message. You know, we've all seen 
Um, we've all seen evangelism done poorly, you know, and I'm thinking of people at the football game with the bullhorns shouting down people who are passing by. And, and what's missing there, of course, is, is a sense of God's love in many cases. And, but that's not what this woman was all about. She seemed perfectly kind, perfectly respectful, even perfectly sane, if you're wondering. I admired her a great deal, even as I was intimidated by her witness. And I thought, please, Lord, don't ever call me to do what you've called her to do. I don't think I have the guts to do that. Do you? It's no exaggeration. This is not good. I'm not, what I'm about to say about myself is not good. It is no exaggeration to say that I am, I'm more afraid of I'm less afraid of, of dying for my faith than I am of dying of embarrassment for my faith. And it's, that's a personal problem. So, so maybe Jesus, I hope, isn't calling me to do something like that. And maybe he's not calling you to do something like that. That doesn't mean he isn't calling us to do something. Every single one of us to do something, to play a role in fulfilling Jesus's great commission to go into the world, including the community of Tekoa First and make disciples. So what are some practical things that we can do? Well, we can continue to do what we did last Sunday night at the block party. Were you a part of this? Did you go to this? Do you know about this? Did you participate in this? It was a wonderful ministry to our community. So many dozens of, of people came to this. And um, look, we weren't preaching and teaching the word of God there. But we were using this event to invite others to to come to our church where they may hear the word of God and repent of their sins and, and, find, uh, and find Jesus and find salvation. That's why we were there. So we, we want to keep on doing things like that. We can also do what our new youth minister, Josh and Jenna and Jay were doing at the Red Rage last Friday. I mean, they painted their faces and, and showed up at that stadium. They were prepared, prepared to do what? Prepared to invite young people to this church so that they could hear the word of God and be saved. Now, many of you say, or at least think to yourself, <clears throat> I don't really know how to witness. Yes, I know as a United Methodist, I promised I would do that, but I, I really don't know how to do that. But, but yes, you do. Because literally every single one of you can personally invite someone to this church, can't you? Do you need me to provide a tutorial on how to invite someone to church? It goes something like this. Hey, listen, I'm going to church this Sunday. You wanna come with me? It's easy to do, and I know that we all can do that. Besides, most of you, most of you are parents and grandparents, so I hope you know how to witness. Because the most important kind of witnessing, the most important kind of evangelism is what you do with your own children and your own grandchildren. So I know that you know how to do it. Well, what else can we do? We can make visitors feel welcome once they come to this church. My family and I had an opportunity a few months ago for the first time ever to worship at one of these 
mega churches in the Atlanta area. This was not a Methodist church, but it was a very large, obviously it's large, it's a mega church, right? But it's a popular church, and I've never been to one before until, until um, a few months ago. And I, I'm not exaggerating when I say to you that between getting out of the parking lot, parking our car and getting out of the car, and being shown where the coffee line was, no fewer than six people, six volunteers with name tags greeted us. They, they placed information in our hands about the church's many ministries, about how to get involved in small groups. They gave us vouchers for free coffee in the coffee line. I mean, it was just a dollar uh, a coffee otherwise, but still, I have never felt so welcomed at a church before. And you know how, I mean, they had so many volunteers at this. This, was, this wasn't even the main campus. This was a satellite campus. And you know how in Methodist churches, maybe not this one in particular, but probably this one too, um, we often struggle to get volunteers to do things. We're always looking for volunteers. And here, I mean, they just have so many volunteers. And, and I actually took the campus minister to coffee to find out, well, what are they doing? What are they doing? How, how do they attract so many volunteers to help in this ministry? And he told me that, that they, under, they understand, the members of the church understand how high the stakes are for what they're doing. They, they, they understand that potentially heaven or hell hangs in the balance based on how well they welcome others to the church. Of course, no one's gonna go to heaven because a volunteer showed them where to park or greeted them warmly or invited them to a small group or gave them a voucher for free coffee. It's just that some of these visitors whom these volunteers greeted and welcomed are lost without Jesus Christ. They have, they've never received Christ as their Savior and Lord. And apart from faith in Christ, as it stands at this moment, they will be bound for eternal separation from God. And it could be that because of these volunteers, because, because of their warm welcome, these lost people will come back to church and they'll hear the word of God and they'll, they'll turn to Jesus and they'll be saved. These are humble acts of service for sure. But, but, but we have to understand that potentially eternity is what's at stake. What, what else can we do? Well, if you are a Christian, that means you have had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. That means you have a story to tell about who Jesus is and what he means to you and what he's done in your life. Can you imagine? <clears throat> sitting over coffee with someone and talking about that story that you have, talking about your personal experience with Jesus, that's one way that you can witness. Or maybe, maybe God will give you the opportunity to, to actually share the gospel with someone. And maybe you don't know how to do that or what to say or, well, <clears throat> on the screen in a moment, um, you will see um, what's often called the Romans Road. It's, um, it's six verses from the book of Romans that 
walks you through what the gospel is. And, and it helps you um, share this and, and, and help other people understand what the gospel is. I think you might see that soon. Um, but if you do, um, if you do, you can take notes and, and write this stuff down. And, and this might be helpful as you, as you share the gospel with others. And of course, here it is. It's going gonna, it's gonna to cycle through so you don't have to get it all you know, at one time. Um, and I've preached a lot about this recently. Every single one of us can pray. Uh, that's the most important thing that we can do to help fulfill the Great Commission, to pray for our friends, to pray for our coworkers, to pray for our neighbors, to pray for our fellow students, to pray for uh, family uh, who have not yet received Jesus Christ. My point is, we can all do something to fulfill this great commission. What we cannot do is make excuses about why we can't witness. What we cannot do is shirk our responsibility, tell ourselves that witnessing isn't really for us. That's for, that's for other Christians, perhaps others who are more spiritual than we are others who are more righteous than we are, others who are more qualified to do this work than we are. We're not allowed to do this because today's scripture goes out of its way to show us exactly how unqualified the apostle Peter was to do the work of fulfilling the Great Commission. <clears throat> if you don't believe me, Consider Peter's bad attitude when Jesus asks him to go over there out deep in the water and cast his net in. Now, I know sometimes like the language of the Bible doesn't seem as in your face as a contemporary language does. But but this is kind of an in your face kind of remark that Peter makes. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. In other words, Jesus, look, you're a great teacher and all, and God has obviously blessed you, and, and, and you have great power, and you enjoy God's favor. But, you know, why don't you just leave the fishing to us experts? This is what we do for a living. And, and we, we worked all night trying to catch fish, and we didn't catch anything. And every good fisherman knows that if you can't catch fish when it's dark at night, you're not going to catch fish uh, in the daylight, in the daytime, um, you know, when the sun's out, that's just not going to happen. Um, Peter has been up all night. He's tired. He's grumpy. He's irritable. He's angry that he's wasted time and money and he's been unable to catch anything. He doesn't believe that Jesus knows what he's talking about. He doesn't have any faith to speak of that what Jesus commands him to do is going to work. He's filled with doubt. Now, in the previous chapter, Luke chapter four, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. So maybe he feels like, well, he owes Jesus the benefit of the doubt. So he'll go ahead and do this thing that Jesus is asking as a courtesy. But it's easy to see how little faith Peter has. It's easy to see how unqualified Peter is. Yet look what Jesus is able to do through someone as skeptical and faithless and filled with doubts 
as Peter himself. So you think Jesus can't also do powerful, amazing, great things through you as you follow Jesus's word? Of course he can. Listen, no modern person, in my opinion, was as successful at fulfilling the Great Commission as the late Billy Graham, who, of course, died last year. Let's just have a conservative estimate. Let's say that because of Billy Graham's witness, there are now tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of people who are currently in heaven or will be in heaven because of Graham's witness. That's a conservative estimate, I realize. Graham talked about what, why he was so successful in this mission. And uh, he put it like this. If you are walking down a road and you happen to see a turtle sitting on top of a tall fence post, what would you assume? You would, of course, assume that the turtle did not climb up there on his own. You would assume that someone far larger than the turtle picked the turtle up and placed him on top of that tall post for some mysterious reason. Listen, you and I, Tacoa First United Methodist Church, we are going to be successful in fulfilling this great commission that Jesus has given us. But it won't be because of who we are, how special we are, how powerful we are. It's going to be because of how amazing Jesus is. We're going to look back. We're going to look back on this time and we're going to say, not look what we did, but we're going to say, look what Jesus did. Peter's example demonstrates that that faith is not about how you feel. It's not, you know, you, you, you could be like Peter and you could be filled with doubt and you could not want to do whatever it is Jesus calls you to do. And you may not be feeling very spiritual at the moment, but it's 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 not about what we feel. It's about the faith is not about what we feel. It's about the person in whom we have faith. Faith is not about you. Faith is about who. That's pretty good. You put that on Twitter. Faith is not about you. Faith is about who. Who Jesus is. We, as we answer Jesus' call, we're just going to be a bunch of turtles sitting on tall fence posts. Almighty God. You have given us the Holy Spirit. We are equipped with everything that we need to be successful in fulfilling the great commission that you have given us. And so we pray right now that we could continue to do the good work that you call us to do, the the good work that, that so many volunteers from our church, so many disciples from this church did last weekend and will continue to do. Show us new ways that we can be faithful in this mission that you've given us to win men and women and boys and girls to the good news of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. 
If you're in the Tacoa area on Sunday morning, I want to invite you to come and worship with us at Tacoa First United Methodist Church. We have two worship services every Sunday. We have a contemporary service at 8.30 and a traditional service at 11. We are at 333 East Tuglo Street in downtown Tacoa, Georgia. Hope to see you there.